0: Good morning, welcome to NTD.
1: Good morning, here are our top stories. Israel's military orders evacuations in southern Gaza with locations mapped out to safely take shelter. We have the latest on the Israel-Hamas war as operations across all of Gaza begin.
0: The U.S. military shoots down drones as multiple commercial ships are attacked in the Middle East. Find out who's behind the attacks and what's next.
1: Is Israel doing everything it can to relay its message to Gazans about how to evacuate and how will the U.S. respond to Iran as its proxies launch anti-Israel strikes? A lawyer with broad knowledge of this war weighs in.
0: A man was arrested in France after a suspected terrorist stabbing that killed a German tourist. The man allegedly claimed allegiance to ISIS.
1: A former U.S. ambassador was arrested in Miami, this after an investigation reportedly found links to the communist government in Cuba.
0: Turmoil inside a super PAC supporting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We have more on that and what's next for the candidate's presidential campaign.
1: It's not just another holiday parade. Find out why organizers in Philadelphia call this the only parade of its kind in the country.
2: This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan.
0: Welcome to NTD.
1: Welcome, everyone. Today is Monday, December 4th.
0: Yes, we all hope you have a great weekend. And right now, this big news is that Egypt is now reportedly pressuring Israel, as well as the U.S., to allow more aid to enter the Gaza Strip.
1: Right. So reportedly after the ceasefire ended, some 150 trucks of food and equipment entered.
0: Yeah. Limited on fuel, though. And and that's just, it's that the Israel's coordinator is saying that they do not respond on this matter to Mm -hmm. that pressure.
1: Right. And uh, we are moving on with today's top news. Israel's military says it has expanded its ground offensive to every part of Gaza and ordered more evacuations in the south. The IDF says its troops eliminated Hamas commanders and operatives in northern Gaza over the weekend and carried out airstrikes across wide areas of the Gaza Strip yesterday.
0: The IDF says one of those strikes killed a Hamas battalion commander responsible for some of the October 7th attacks. Israel says the terrorist was tasked with securing operations at Al-Shifa Hospital and its integrated tunnel network.
1: Israel's military chief of staff says divisions are back to securing northern positions now that the pause is over. He promised operations in the south will match the strength and results of the offensive in the north. He says the same process will be used to target terrorist commanders and operatives.
0: Israel has ordered evacuations in areas in and around the southern city of Han Yunus. The IDF posted a map of safe locations to shelter to the west of the city and south near the Rafah border crossing with Egypt.
1: Israel says three Israeli soldiers were injured overnight by mortar shells launched from Lebanon. The IDF says it struck back with artillery.
0: Constant clashes along the border with Iran-backed terrorist group Hezbollah are stoking fears of a wider regional conflict. The IDF said this morning it carried out around 200 airstrikes on Hamas targets in Gaza overnight. And now for some analysis of Israel's expanded operations. We're bringing in live on the show Gerard He who is a senior counsel at the Lawfare Project. Gerard, thank you for your time this morning. Do you think that Israel is doing everything it can to relay its message on how to evacuate to Gazans?
2: Good morning, thank you for having me. Israel is, as it always has been, giving advance notice of where it's looking to strike. It drops leaflets from planes, it sends text messages to people living in a designated area, and it tells them that it's going to bomb and where to evacuate to. Israel has continued to do this throughout this conflict and is doing so responsibly to minimize civilian casualties.
0: Yes, and you mentioned that this is done in a responsible manner. There are hundreds of thousands of people now fleeing the north, going to southern Gaza at Israel's orders and that they told them to evacuate there. And now they're expanding their operations in the south. So is Israel consistent with its messaging to Gazans?
2: It it is consistent. It's telling them exactly where it's going to operate. The issue is that the humanitarian pause gave Hamas a chance to mobilize its forces and move them around. So now we have fighting in the south because Hamas moved a lot of its leadership structure and a lot of cells into the south to avoid the war in the north. So now that Israel is operating in the south, it's continuing to give civilians notice on where to move to, which tends to be the coastal areas or the area around Rafah, which has been so far not touched by bombing.
0: So where is this Wadi Gaza wet wetlands and that Israel is telling Palestinians to flee to the south of? And are they safe considering that Han Yunus is being attacked?
2: Well, the Wadi Gaza, uh, Wadi Gaza is a stream that runs from the east to the west in Gaza, roughly, roughly halfway through it. It's basically a, a small stream that's, uh, at, when it's rainy, it's it's more like a river. It's a nature preserve, UNESCO considered it for a World Heritage Site. So it's a part the, of the country that has little infrastructure uh, and is, is a wetland, basically, and that runs halfway through Gaza. What Israel is telling people to do is to go south of the middle of Gaza uh, for more safety.
0: Right, and let's talk about the actual progress of the war here. A Hamas commander that was purportedly involved in the actual planning of the October 7th terrorist attack has been taken out as part of one of the Hamas command, command battalions. So is Israel proceeding to achieve its objectives here as expected on time?
2: Well, I, I don't know about Israel's timetable, but they are proceeding expeditiously. They've eliminated a number of the leadership structure of Hamas within Gaza. They've also eliminated a number of the terrorists that were responsible for the murder and kidnapping and torture of Israeli civilians on October seven. So Israel is proceeding apace uh, to remedy the situation and deal with, with Hamas. Uh, we don't know yet what, how many of the leaders are still in Gaza and whether Israel is moving on its timetable, but it certainly is achieving its objectives.
0: Yes, and this is one of several commanders that have already been taken out. The U.S. now is making it clear, of course, that they do not want any widespread displacement of Palestinians now that the whole of Gaza Strip is subject to bombardment by Israel. Is there a risk of that happening?
2: Well, unfortunately, there is that risk when you have a a population that is is considerably large in a small area, which is subject to a war, Uh, the displacement of people is always a risk. What the United States is specifically looking for is for Palestinians to remain within the Gaza borders and not to be displaced outside of that area into Egypt or into other countries. So far, that seems to be holding. So far, there are plenty of safe spaces in southern Gaza that are immune from bombing and where Palestinians and other civilians are safe.
0: And let's turn now to the Red Sea, where the United States had to get drawn into this war, taking down drones that were used to attack Israeli-linked vessels. Do you think that these attacks by Iran-backed proxies are going to cause the United States to work with its international partners to put pressure on Iran in some way?
2: Well, these attacks are certainly escalating over the weekend we saw an attack on american warships uh, and other vessels as well so the united states is working with its allies especially britain and france to put pressure on iran to stop these attacks but also responding militarily to take out targets that engage it i think as time goes on if we see more attacks we will see more active american military presence taking definitive action against terror cells that launch these attacks
0: and that is such a crucial shipping lane there as part of the the whole ability for Israel to get supplies, a huge oil route. So that's obviously a central aspect to security in in that region. Do you think the United States is going to step up its military presence there to prevent this type of attack?
2: I think we can anticipate that the U.S. is absolutely stepping up its military presence. We, saw, uh, we see a larger presence in Qatar as well at America's base there. We see that America is, is committing assets to the region to make sure that shipping channels remain clear and free of terrorism, not just for oil, but for the safe passage of all countries uh, through those waters.
0: Well, thank you so much for weighing in on this, Gerard Felitti, Senior Counsel at the Lawfare Project. I appreciate it.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Israeli authorities say they've recalled their team of negotiators from Qatar after reaching a dead end in hostage negotiations.
0: Israel's defense minister says Hamas promised to return the remaining 15 women and two children in the last round of talks, but did not follow through.
1: Prime Minister Netanyahu says Israel's ground operations in Gaza will continue until all goals are achieved. Those goals include freeing hostages, eradicating Hamas, and preventing what he called a regime of terror in Gaza.
0: Hamas now says no more hostages will be freed unless there is a ceasefire. The terrorist group claims the remaining hostages are all IDF soldiers. They demand all Palestinian prisoners be released in exchange.
1: Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the pause ended because Hamas reneged on its commitments. He also mentioned the terrorist attack in Jerusalem and rockets fired at Israel before the pause ended. The Israel Defense Forces says it hit over 400 targets throughout Gaza in the first 24 hours after the pause expired. It says the targets included a mosque used by Islamic Jihad and a terrorist cell ambushing Israeli troops.
0: The IDF says two more soldiers were killed, bringing the total to 66 since its offensive in Gaza started. The Hamas terrorist group said over the weekend that it was firing barrages of rockets targeting Israel's densely populated city of Tel Aviv. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the weekend developments in the war.
3: Israel's Iron Dome defense system fired interceptor missiles at incoming rockets over the weekend as sirens in Tel Aviv blared, and Israel's defense forces pushed forward with their campaign in the Gaza Strip. The IDF says it destroyed roughly 500 of the 800-some Hamas tunnel shafts it's found so far, near or inside schools, playgrounds, and mosques. Israel says Hamas is still holding over 130 hostages. The United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense says it wants to help locate them, and that it will conduct surveillance flights over Gaza and the eastern Mediterranean. The U.S. is stepping up pressure on Israel to do more to minimize civilian casualties. Gaza's Hamas-run Ministry of Health claims at least 15,000 people have been killed in Israeli strikes and over 40,000 wounded. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin warned Saturday that Israel is at risk of turning a tactical victory into a strategic defeat by driving civilians into the arms of the enemy if it doesn't do more to protect them. Vice President Kamala Harris said Saturday while meeting Egypt's president that too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. She promised Washington will not allow the forced relocation of Palestinians, their besiegement, or the redrawing of Gaza's border. The Palestine Red Crescent Society says it received 100 aid trucks of food, water, and medical supplies from the Egyptian Red Crescent through the Rafah border crossing on Saturday. In Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu Sunday called for a thorough inquiry into the fatal shooting of a civilian that helped stop the terrorist attack in Jerusalem last week. He was apparently shot by a soldier after firing his handgun at the terrorist when they tried to escape. The IDF says it would join a police investigation because the suspect in the killing is a soldier. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
1: And strong words from Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan. He said that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu would eventually be tried as a war criminal over Israel's military action in Gaza.
0: The Turkish president also condemned Western countries for continuing to support Israel.
1: At a speech in Istanbul today, Erdogan said Western support was giving, quote, unconditional support to kill babies. Erdogan added that Western support made the countries complicit in the crimes.
0: Turkey supports a two-state solution to the decades-old conflict in the region. Erdogan drew a comparison between Netanyahu and former Yugoslav president Slobodan Milosevic, who was tried for genocide and war crimes.
1: Unlike most of its Western allies and some Gulf states, NATO member Turkey does not view Hamas as a terrorist group. The country also hosts some of the group's members. And tense moments in the Red Sea yesterday. Iran-backed Houthi rebels, fired missiles and struck three commercial ships.
0: And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the maritime attack, which is not the first time rebels have targeted commercial ships in the region.
4: The U.S. military says its warship shot down three drones in self-defense during the hour's long assault. The Iranian-backed Houthis claimed two of the attacks. The strikes marked an escalation in such assaults at sea, as multiple vessels found themselves in the crosshairs of a single Houthi assault for the first time in the conflict. The U.S. vowed to consider all appropriate responses in the wake of the attack and labeled the assaults a direct threat to international commerce and maritime security. The U.S. called out Iran, saying it has every reason to believe the attacks were fully enabled by the Islamic Republic. The Israeli army also blamed Iran, saying the weapons, intelligence and methods the Houthis used to carry out the attacks are Iranian.
2: This shows the negative Iranian subversion in the region, and it's a global problem, a regional problem, and we need to see how the world responds to this. The freedom of sailing is
4: becoming dangerous in this part of the world. The attack started in Houthi-controlled Sana, Yemen's capital, at around 9.15 a.m. Sunday, local time. Two of the ships struck by missiles were flying under Panama's flag, one under Bahama's flag. No casualties were reported according to U.S. Central Command. U.S. Central Command is one of the 11 unified combatant commands of the Department of Defense. Its area of responsibility includes the Middle East, Central Asia, and parts of South Asia. Its top two command priorities are to, one, deter Iran, and two, counter violent extremist organizations. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
1: A U.S. airstrike killed five Iraqi militants yesterday. According to Reuters, the strike took place while the Iraqis prepared to launch explosive projectiles at U.S. forces.
0: Three Iraqi security sources identified them as members of an Iran-backed militia group.
1: A U.S. military official confirmed a self-defense strike on an imminent threat. It targeted a drone staging site near Kirkuk in northern Iraq. A statement by the Islamic resistance in Iraq said five of its members were killed. They vowed retaliation against the U.S. forces.
0: Earlier yesterday, a military official said U.S. and international forces were attacked with multiple rockets at the Rumalin Landing Zone north in northeastern Syria. The official told Reuters there were no casualties or damage to infrastructure. Iraqi armed groups have claimed more than 70 such attacks against U.S. forces since mid-October.
1: And coming up, a former U.S. diplomat has been arrested following allegations of serving as an agent for the Cuban government.
0: And will Democrats flip the seat of former Representative George Santos? A Democratic strategist tells us more about who the frontrunner is and what kind of boost is
1: at stake troubles for Governor Ron DeSantis as top figures in a super PAC hit the road. We have more on what's next in the candidate's presidential campaign.
0: Texas Governor Greg Abbott is ready to take a case to the Supreme Court after a ruling on a border security issue. We have those details coming up.
1: Good to have you back. A former diplomat who once served as a U.S. ambassador to Bolivia has been arrested. Emmanuel Rocha's arrest reportedly follows accusations of serving as an agent of Cuba's government.
0: Rocha was arrested on Friday in Miami following a long-running FBI investigation. The Associated Press reports he is due to appear in court later today, where more details about the case will likely be made public.
1: According to unnamed sources, the Justice Department accused Rocha of working to promote the Cuban government's interests. The Justice Department declined to comment on the case.
0: Rocha's diplomatic career spanned 25 years under both Democratic and Republican administrations, much of it in Latin America during the Cold War. He once held a diplomatic post in Cuba. Colombian-born Rocha was raised in New York City. He joined the Foreign Service in 1981 and served as the top U.S. diplomat in Argentina between 1997 and
1: 2000. And House Speaker Mike Johnson gave an update on a planned impeachment inquiry into President Biden over the weekend. Johnson says he thinks the House has enough votes to formally launch an inquiry without support from any Democrats.
0: Johnson called the move a necessary step. The House Speaker alleges the White House has been stonewalling committees investigating the Biden family.
1: Johnson is accusing the Biden administration of withholding thousands of pages of evidence and preventing at least two or three DOJ witnesses from testifying.
0: He says a formal floor vote on the inquiry will allow committees to move forward.
1: Republicans have signaled that a formal impeachment inquiry against Biden could be launched as soon as this week.
0: President Biden's brother James Biden is set to appear before the GOP-led panel on Wednesday. Hunter Biden is scheduled for a closed door deposition next week.
1: The shakeups inside Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' campaign continue. More key people at the main super PAC supporting his presidential bid have left the organization. Reuters reports that the CEO and communications director of the Never Back Down super PAC have parted ways with the group. CEO Kristen Davison was on the job for less than two weeks after replacing the former CEO in late November. A spokesperson for the group says longtime DeSantis ally Scott Wagner will now take over the chief executive role. DeSantis allies recently formed a new super PAC called Fight Right. It's focusing on attacks against candidate Nikki Haley who has DeSantis in some key states. Both DeSantis and Haley trail former President Trump in the race for the GOP nomination by over 40 points in most national polls. George Santos is gone from the House, so what effect will his explosion have?
0: His name is certain to pop up in key congressional races across New York next year.
1: Democrats are targeting five seats held by first-term Republicans. They're looking to associate them with their former colleague as often as they can. How successful Democrats do that could help determine which party holds the House majority in 2025.
0: The strategy of association was evident on Friday as Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries condemned Republicans. Jeffries accuses them of knowing a lot about Santos before he was elected and then coddling him for almost a year.
1: The concern about Santos possibly tainting other Republican members standing with voters was evident as the New Yorkers made themselves front and center in the drive to expel him.
0: A special election for Santos's seat is expected in mid to late February. Democrats stand a good chance of winning it back. And with the battle starting to fill the seat vacated after former Representative George Santos was expelled from Congress. We speak to Robert Patillo, a Democratic strategist. He joins us live to discuss this. Good morning, Robert. Thank you for coming on the show. What do Democrats need to do to turn this seat blue?
5: Um, Well, I think Democrats have to focus on the messaging of the 2024 campaign, which is to finish the fight. That while Republicans have been off on these wild goose chases, while there's been distraction after distraction, seemingly every week within the GOP uh, conference, uh, Democrats have been focusing on jobs, infrastructure, bringing down inflation, um, the creation of uh, environmental uh, protections, and getting the American people back to work and recovering after the COVID uh, pandemic. I think that Democrats focus on that core message and don't allow Republican distractions to get in the way. Um, then that's how they win back both that seat and many other seats nationwide.
0: It's gonna be a very competitive race. Now, Tom Swazi, former representative, he has appeared to be the front runner in this election here. Do you have a little bit of background that you can share with us about him?
5: Yes, Swazi actually ran against Santos before. He's a native to the area. Uh, He only lost by, uh, I think, under 5% to George Santos last time. So he definitely has the inside track. And he uh, is of the argument that he has made the point that uh, if the information about George Santos's biography had came out that he believed the Republicans were aware of, um, that George Santos would have never won this seat in the first place. This is demographically a seat that swings towards Democrats. It's a working class area. It's um, a lot of minority voters within the jurisdiction. So I think he has a very strong chance of of bringing that seat back into the Democratic fold. And if you look at the numbers, you're looking at Republicans now down to a four-seat majority going into 2024. So they're going to have to start working in a more bipartisan manner than perhaps many people in the Freedom Caucus had hoped previously.
0: So this special election is coming up in a matter of months here. So what kind of boost will flipping the seat give Democrats ahead of the 2024 elections?
5: Uh, well, I think well, if you look at the special elections we've seen over the course of the past three years since President Biden has been elected, Democrats have fared very well in those special elections nationwide. If you're looking at some of the vulnerable seats, people like Lauren Boebert, who won her last re-election campaign by only a couple hundred votes, uh, where you're looking at the 18 Republicans who are in Biden districts, uh, and also look at what's going on in the federal uh, judiciary, where you have four separate states that have been ordered to redraw maps, creating more majority minority uh, districts. Places like Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, Alabama, Democrats could come out of the 2024 election with up to a dozen seat majority.
0: It's very interesting there, Robert. Let's talk now about the potential GOP led vote to open an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. How is this different from the probe that then Speaker McCarthy unilaterally launched back in September?
5: It isn't. There's been no new evidence produced by Republicans to the public suggesting that they have any more evidence of a crime by President Biden today than they did the last time they had their kind of mess of a hearing on impeachment previously. Uh, And I think many of the American voters will see this is what it is, a distraction from the Republican chaos, that this is a way to kind of rally the MAGA base together. But if you do not have very clear evidence, Carl Sagan once said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And we do not have direct and clear evidence uh, connecting President Biden directly to a crime, um, then this will be seen as the, by the American voters as simply a way for Republicans to distract from the work that needs to be done. And what we've seen from both of Trump's impeachments, his numbers went up afterwards. So when you have a president who's in the low 30s in poll numbers, why launch an inquiry which may push him up over 40 or 50% going into the reelection campaign?
0: Yeah, a bit counterintuitive there. Do you think that the GOP has the votes needed to open it?
5: I doubt I doubt they actually have the votes. Remember, they're now operating on a four vote majority. And if you are a uh, a Republican who is in a Biden district, one well, of those 18 districts of President Biden, one that are uh, uh, that Republicans are representatives of, I think you're going to be very wary going into a re-election campaign uh, being associated with the Lauren Boeberts of the Marjorie Taylor Grange, the Matt Gates of the world. Uh, Chip Roy put it very clearly to his colleagues on the House floor where he said, what have you given me that I can go back to my my uh, constituents to say the Republicans have done with this majority. And I think that you're going to uh, see more Republicans want to concentrate on immigration reform, bringing down the national debt, not shutting down the government, for example, and actually having a functioning government between now and November, and that this will be seen as more of a distraction.
0: Well, thank you for your analysis on this. Robert Petillo, a Democratic strategist.
5: Thank you.
1: The Supreme Court is hearing arguments today over a challenge to a bankruptcy deal aimed at compensating victims of OxyContin. The highly addictive painkiller linked to the opioid crisis.
0: Purdue Pharma, the company responsible for producing and promoting the drug, agreed to pay billions of dollars to those affected by the opioid epidemic. That was part of a deal approved by a lower court, but the deal protects the Sackler family who owned and operated the company from personal liability.
1: The actions of Purdue Pharma and the Sacklers were not widely known for a long time, but their role in the opioid crisis has been extensively documented in court, as well as in movies, books, and documentaries like Crime of the Century.
0: According to the documentary, within the last 20 years, more than 500,000 Americans have been killed by overdoses. This was a new drug cartel. There were drug dealers wearing suits and lab coats. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says he's ready to go to the Supreme Court over a border security measure. Abbott says he intends to seek a ruling by the entire Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in response to the Federal Appeals Court order on Friday. That order asked the state of Texas to remove its border buoys from the Rio Grande. On Sunday, Abbott blamed what he called a majority of Democrats on the panel who made the decision.
1: Abbott also said he will sign a law in two weeks that will allow Texas police to arrest migrants illegally crossing the southern border.
0: And coming up, Harvard being investigated by the Education Department after a complaint alleging discrimination. How an editor suggests anti-Semitism be tackled on college campuses and it involves intellectual diversity and punishment.
1: A man was arrested in Paris after an alleged terrorist attack involving the killing of a German tourist. He's suspected suspected of having links to ISIS. That's coming up.
4: I'm Steve Lance in Washington, D.C., and we are NTD News.
1: Good morning and welcome back. We're heading to France where police have arrested a man in connection with the fatal stabbing of a German tourist in Paris on Saturday.
0: According to prosecutors, the man previously recorded a video pledging allegiance to ISIS. French President Emmanuel Macron called the incident a terrorist attack, and today's Costemines has more.
6: The man, a French national, was quickly arrested after police subdued him with a taser stun gun. This according to French Interior Minister Gérald Darmanin, who spoke at a press conference on Saturday. Two others, one British and one French national, sustained non-life-threatening injuries after being attacked with a hammer by the same man. The attack occurred at Bir Hakeim, near the Eiffel Tower. Darmanin said the suspect told police he carried out the attack due to being upset about the situation in Gaza, as well as Muslims dying in Afghanistan and Palestine. According to French police, the man shouted Alou Akbar during the attack. The man was previously arrested in 2016 for planning another attack. He had since been on the French security services watch list. He was also known to have serious psychiatric disorders and was required to get treatment since his release from prison in 2020. According to French officials, three other people affiliated with the suspect were also taken into custody on Sunday. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz wrote on X that he was shocked by the attack, reaffirming his position to resolutely stand up to hatred and terror. In a meeting on Sunday, French Prime Minister Elisabeth Borne met with cabinet members to reassess the country's current security arrangements. France has been on high alert since raising its security threshold in October, when a Chechen origin man with a knife killed a teacher in a school in northern France. MNS, NTD News.
1: And another attack claimed by ISIS, this time in the Philippines. Several people were killed yesterday and at least 50 injured in a bombing at a Catholic mass.
0: ISIS claimed responsibility for the attack, writing on Telegram that its members detonated a bomb at the gathering. President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. condemned the attack, calling it a heinous act by foreign terrorists. Philippine defense officials vowed to find those responsible.
1: Photos shared online show the immediate aftermath of the attack, which took place in a university gym in the city of Marawi. Footage shows no apparent damage to the building, but burn marks can be seen in the center of the room.
0: Islamic terrorists previously besieged Marawi for five months in 2017. More than 1,000 people, including civilians, died during the fighting between terrorists and the country's security forces.
1: Yesterday's attack follows a series of military operations against local ISIS groups in the southern Philippines. Both police and military have ramped up security in the country's south and around the capital Manila. Going to anti-Semitism on campus, the Department of Education is investigating Harvard following a complaint over Harvard's alleged discrimination by failing to address harassment of students after October 7th.
0: Dexter Van Zyl, the managing editor of the Middle East Forum, addresses the source of this problem.
7: The October 7th attack that was perpetrated by Hamas, uh, essentially instead of actually alerting people to the threats of anti-Semitism and the horrors of it, essentially prompted a whole bunch of people to come out of the corners of American society and express support for Hamas, and that's a big issue. Normally you would think an attack by Hamas and the murder that, that, we, that we all witnessed and, and saw documented by, by the attackers themselves would prompt horror. But on American college campuses, what it did was is it basically elicited a huge number of uh, students that came out and said that this is something that they actually wanna support. And a lot of that has to do with, essentially, a lot of young people, essentially, having been indoctrinated uh, with anti-Israel and anti-Western and, frankly, anti-Jewish propaganda over the past several decades. And it's a very troubling thing.
0: Dexter, this is an alarming trend, considering that studies show that since the October 7th terrorist attacks, the number of Jewish students on college campuses who feel comfortable with other students knowing they're Jewish dropped by half. So what is this anti-Israel propaganda? Where is it stemming from? And how is it affecting safety on campuses?
7: Okay, it's coming largely from uh, activists uh, who are affiliated with uh, organizations such as Students for Justice in Palestine, also the uh, Muslim Student Association here in the United States, and also another organization called American Muslims for Palestine. What they do is, is that they engage in anti-Israel activism on college campuses, and they do it with the support of uh, donors. We're not necessarily—some uh, of them American donors, uh, and they essentially they do this with the license that's given to them by the administrators in college campuses— And they don't really wanna step in and say, look, you can't do this. And it's a profoundly effective campaign in large part uh, because other students are looking for ways to demonstrate that they're on the right side of history, so to speak, and that they're not evil colonizing Westerners. And uh, so this is where the campaign is coming from. And right now as a result of the uptick in violence against, uh, and hostility towards Jews on college campuses, uh, House Ways and Com- we- uh, Means Committee came out and did a uh, an investigation and did a committee hearing about these organizations a few weeks ago, uh, just before Thanksgiving. And that's also one of the reasons why we see the uh, Harvard being listed. Uh, there's right now seven or eight schools that are being investigated as a result of what is happening on college campuses under Title VI, which says that you can't discriminate or harass people or bully people based on their national origin or their ethnicity. And so people are starting to wake up.
0: So Dexter, just in 30 seconds, what should colleges be doing right now to prevent these type of complaints from surfacing?
7: Uh, well, the first thing that they need to do is is that when students engage in this type of behavior, they need to be punished and, and if necessary, expelled. That's the first thing that needs to happen. Another thing is, is that I, I think that uh, People, uh, faculty members who are engaged in anti-Israel propaganda, uh, they need to be countered largely with uh, you know, more intellectual diversity on the faculty. We have to have people uh, on faculties who are willing to speak openly in defense of Israel and speak honestly about the impact of Islamism on the Middle East and on the West as well.
0: It is great hearing your analysis on this important issue. Dexter Van Zyl, Managing Editor at the Middle East Forum, thank you so much.
7: All right, thank you,
2: all right.
0: Representative Pramila Jayapal addressed Hamas rape and sexual violence against Israeli women on CNN.
1: When asked about the global silence on sexual violence against Israeli women, Jayapal said she has condemned what Hamas has done, but then pivoted to discussing Israeli actions in Gaza, saying that outrage must be balanced. Jayapal says 15,000 Palestinians have been killed since October 7th, which are numbers provided by Hamas.
0: According to Jayapal, one war crime, as in the rape and sexual violence, does not deserve another, meaning the bombings resulting in civilian deaths. CNN anchor Dana Bash then pushed Jayapal again on the rape and sexual assaults.
1: Jayapal acknowledged that rape and sexual assault are horrific, adding that, quote, I think it happens in war situations.
0: Bash then told Jayapal that Israeli soldiers don't rape Palestinian women, to which Jayapal responded, quote, I don't want this to be the hierarchy of oppression.
1: Democratic Congressman Adam Smith has responded to vandalism at his home regarding the conflict in Israel and Gaza. Smith's Bellevue, Washington residence was vandalized Thursday night. In these images provided by Smith, you can see a garage door spray-painted with the words baby killer, ceasefire, and free Gaza. Smith called the vandalism troubling, problematic, and harmful to our political system. Last month, Congressman Smith called for the elimination of the Hamas terrorist organization but said Israel and the U.S. can do more to address the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. He said he recently met with activists to discuss Israel and Hamas and that he's open to further discussion. After the break, we bring on the host of entity Business to get the latest on renewable energy stocks and how investors are faring now.
0: A new airline merger announced between Alaskan and Hawaiian Airlines. Learn how it could affect you if you're traveling this season when we come back.
1: Welcome back, and we're also welcoming our NTD business host, Don Ma, this morning to discuss clean energy investments.
0: It seems like many renewable energy stocks have fallen out of favor for investors. Don, why is this happening?
8: Well, first of all, we have to remember that a higher interest rate environment is not very good for this sector because a re- renewable energy projects require sometimes sig- significant upfront investment, and a lot a lot of the times that's financed by debt, right? So higher borrowing costs means that you have to pay higher interest rates on, on that debt, and, and because of that, money to fund these projects, uh, like initial investment, that increases and it becomes less attractive to investors because uh, sometimes it becomes less economically viable uh, and these uh, pose challenges uh, to maximize your portfolio uh, if you're invested in these stocks and higher rates have also hurt consumers as well who are seeking to transition into uh, clean energy uh, systems for example uh, switching to a solar system uh, sometimes requires thousands of dollars if not Uh, tens of thousands of dollars Uh, so i mean a lot of people need to uh, get a loan to do that to do that and with higher interest rates that's potentially an obstacle for consumers as well who wants to use clean energy
1: i see so those interest rates possibly have put some obstacles here to a zero carbon electricity grid by 2035 our goal right so how what what about the stocks this year how have they been doing
8: Well, an investment fund that tracks the performance uh, of sectors uh, in renewable energy, um, for example, renewable electricity, semiconductor, solar energy, this investment fund has slumped 27% this year, uh, and that's not good. I mean, it's on pace for its third straight annual loss. Um, But let me give you some specific numbers on uh, particular stocks that are notable. Uh, Plug power shares slipped 63%. EDGE SOLAR, uh, SOLAR EDGE, RATHER, TECHNOLOGIES uh, DECLINED 71%, uh, In face ENERGY SHARES PLUNGED 60%. SO IT SEEMS LIKE THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION'S uh, INFLATION REDUCTION ACT, WHICH PUTS uh, HUNDREDS OF BILLIONS OF DOLLARS INTO uh, CLEAN ENERGY, um, IT SEEMS LIKE IT MIGHT NOT HAVE HELPED AS MUCH AS THEY MIGHT HAVE HOPED. SOME INVESTORS ARE SAYING THAT THE SLOW GLOBAL TRANSITION TO CLEAN ENERGY uh... has also uh, been a limiting factor for companies profitability
1: right right doesn't look at um, when i say our goal of course i mean america's goal in that sense
0: yeah and i mean these interest rates are at about a twenty two year high because the fed is aggressively trying to tame inflation so that's definitely gonna pose a big challenge to those companies trying to gain capital but don do you have anything else for us
8: yeah sure uh... about sixty percent of unions in the u.s. have experienced outages Due to a ransomware attack, a national credit union spokesperson said the attack targeted the cloud services pro- provider owned by tech firm Treeliance. Uh, it's it's just the latest example of how ransomware attacks have caused havoc for US critical infrastructure in recent years. Hosp- hospitals, fuel pipelines, and schools have also been disrupted by the file-locking cyber attacks. This has prompted the biden administration to treat these attacks as a national security crisis
1: serious um, need to be taken serious for sure so let's keep an eye on that but also i want to switch topics for a moment here um what do you have um, about the recent announcement about alaska airlines and hawaiian airlines merger those this merger is is that going to do um any is that going to make anything different for the customers
8: Right, that, that's a very important question here. Alaska uh, Air, Airlines announced yesterday that it agreed to buy Hawaiian Airlines in a $1.9 billion deal. Officials from both companies called the deal a chance to combine two carriers with few overlapping routes and to create a stronger company. They hope the new company will compete with the nation's big four, which are American, Delta, Southwest, and United. The deal is bound to attract, attract uh, antitrust scrutiny. Uh, but right now, U.S. regulators are challenging JetBlue's proposed acquisition of Spirit airlines hawaiian airlines is in trouble due to the uh, maui wildfires uh, spiking jet fuel prices and jet engine recalls of some of their airbus fleet stocks plummeted to 65 percent in the last year and both companies forecast the acquisition will add to profits within two years of the deals closing but the question now is What will the merger mean for the consumer? Uh, Will ticket prices increase or decrease? Uh, Potentially it may be too early to tell at this point.
0: Well, yeah, hopefully those go down because I know a lot of people are going to be traveling over the holidays.
8: Yeah, I mean, hopefully, right?
0: Yeah, Dan Ma, most of entity business, thank you. Yeah, thank thank
8: you.
0: you. And four days in four holidays in one parade. Find out more about what's billed as a -a one-of-a-kind event in Philadelphia after the short break.
6: I'm Aryan Pastar in South America, Brazil, and we are NTD News.
1: Good to have you back. Philadelphia hosted a parade over the weekend that's billed as one of a kind in the whole country.
0: The parade celebrates four different holidays at once, so it has something for everyone. Let's take a look.
4: This weekend marked the third annual Philly Holiday Parade. It's not just another Christmas parade. Organizers say it's the only parade in America to celebrate Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, and Chinese Lunar New Year. There's another unique aspect to the parade, it's held at night.
8: Well, this is the only evening parade we join each year, so it's kind of unique. The other parades are all during the day, and in the evening, it feels uh, maybe
1: more somehow worse. Uh, the mood is more celebratory.
4: What motivates participants to come from all over? And what do they want to share with the audience? A member of the Tian Guo Marching Band explains.
8: So our music, our, our original music, um, and we, we feel it's very special. It has very special meanings behind the songs. So we want to bring the yes, share the goodness and hopefully the energy, positive energy that uh, people can hopefully feel from our music and share it with everyone.
4: Of course, everyone has their favorite performers,
8: I, that's hard to say. There was a couple, there was one group that did like a singing performance um, for Kwanzaa that was really cool That I thought her voice was
2: really beautiful. I love seeing all like how different cultures celebrate the holidays in their own ways and it's really nice to see all the dancing and the kids involved. Put-
4: Parade goers had wishes for the holiday season and the upcoming new year.
8: Peace, um, just for happiness and for everyone to just
1: learn to get along.
4: The parade had a special meaning for this woman from Iran.
1: And it's really interesting for me uh, coming in the uh, country like United States that all the nations are free to express themselves, even people, their ideas, even as you see that uh, people who there is no matter their gender, people respect each other, people um, accept each other what they are, the way that they, uh, they are.
4: The Philly Holiday Parade offers people a unique opportunity to experience different cultures and holidays in one place. While their celebrations may differ, each holiday's hopes and wishes are universally positive.
1: So great how all these cultures are represented.
0: Yeah, I know. I saw that menorah.
1: Oh, yeah. And I'm glad they found the short sound bite of that Kwanzaa um, singing performance this lady was talking about. Although just a split second, but it sounded great. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, We're heading to a quick one minute break, and we'll be right back. So stay with us.
2: There are real consequences to controlled media. NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do.
3: Yeah, so there's the tear gas there
2: We know the value of a free society we and we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We are NTD.
0: Good morning. Welcome to NTD.
1: Good morning. Here are our top stories. Israel expands operations to all of Gaza, opening evacuation zones further south. And find out why Israel pulled negotiators out of hostage talks with Qatar.
0: Anxious moments in the Red Sea as a U.S. warship is forced to shoot down hostile drones. We have more on the incident in which three commercial ships were attacked.
1: A congresswoman says one war crime doesn't justify another when asked about Hamas rape and sexual violence against Israeli women.
0: Disgraced former Congressman George Santos has been expelled. What's next and will Democrats turn the development in their favor?
1: Musical chairs in a super PAC supporting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The latest CEO leaves after less than two weeks on the job. What's next?
2: This is NTD Good Morning, live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan.
1: Welcome to NTD. Welcome. Happy Monday, everybody. Today is December 4th, and in today's top news, Israel's military says it has expanded its ground offensive to every part of Gaza and ordered more evacuations in the south. The IDF says its troops eliminated Hamas commanders and operatives in northern Gaza over the weekend and carried out airstrikes across wide areas of the Gaza Strip yesterday.
0: The IDF says one of those strikes killed a Hamas battalion commander responsible for some of the October 7th attacks. Israel says the terrorist was tasked with securing operations at al Shifa Hospital and its integrated tunnel network.
1: Israel's military chief of staff says divisions are back to securing northern positions now that the pause is over. He promised operations in the south will match the strength and results of the offensive in the north. He says that the same process will be used to target terrorist commanders and operatives.
0: Israel has ordered evacuations in areas in and around the southern city of Han Yunus. The IDF posted a map of safe locations to shelter, to the west of the city and south near the Rafah border crossing with Egypt.
1: Israeli authorities say they've recalled their team of negotiators from Qatar after reaching a dead end in hostage negotiations.
0: Israel's defense minister says Hamas promised to return the remaining 15 women and two children in the last round of talks, but did not follow through.
1: Prime Minister Netanyahu says Israel's ground operations in Gaza will continue until all goals are achieved. Those goals include freeing hostages, eradicating Hamas, and preventing what he called a regime of terror in Gaza.
0: Hamas now says no more hostages will be freed unless there is a ceasefire. The terrorist group claims the remaining hostages are all IDF soldiers. They demand all Palestinian prisoners be released in exchange.
1: Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the pause ended because Hamas reneged on its commitments. He also mentioned the terrorist attack in Jerusalem and rockets fired at Israel before the pause ended. So for more on the latest on the Israel-Hamas war, we bring in David Menser, a spokesman for the Israeli government. Good morning, David. Uh, It's really good to see you. Good morning to you. First, I want to talk about um, what is actually known about the hostages still uh, remaining inside Gaza. Could it be that maybe Hamas doesn't know itself where they are, let alone their well-being at the moment?
9: Uh, Thank you very much, Evelyn. Well, the one thing that we know for sure is that these hostages woke up on the 7th of October alive and well. And now we know that there's 117 men Uh, still uh, as hostage, that we know there are 20 women as well. Two of them are very, very young, the Bibas children, extremely young, Um, 11 month old and five year old. Uh, Their pictures have really touched the hearts around the world and especially uh, here in Israel. And we know that the 10 of them are over 75 years old. It is a heinous war crime to take these innocent people as hostage They must be returned to their homes and to their families and to the people of Israel right now. I might add that 10 of them are U.S. citizens as well, so we need to get these hostages back.
1: Right. And beyond that, do we know if Hamas actually knows where they are, because we know that Allegedly, they're being held with the PIJ as well and other groups, even civilians in, in, uh, in Gaza. So do we know if Hamas actually knows about the whereabouts of these um, and even if they're still well, alive and well?
9: Look, I can't disclose with you the intelligence information that we have, but I say to you again, these people went into Gaza alive and well on the, mm-hmm. on the 7th of October. And it's very important uh, to understand that almost nothing happens, almost nothing happens in Gaza without the control of Hamas. They have uh, uh, run their their terrible rule uh, over uh, Gaza for uh, 16 years now. And it's extremely important for people not to fall for their psychological gains. Israel has been extremely clear. Our two goals for this war, they run concurrently, they are side by side. They are to return these hostages home and also that Hamas will no longer exist as a threat to Israel at the end of the
1: day. I want to talk to you more about this topic because the U.S. is trying to get Israel or get both sides back to the negotiating table. Is Israel, and under what circumstances will Israel be willing to resume these talks?
9: Well, Israel is always ready to do anything that it can to redeem, to get their hostages home. We will do anything we can. And you should take from my answer that exactly as I say, we will do anything that we can to redeem our hostages. Now, the important thing to understand is the only reason we managed to get uh, 110 hostages freed last week, the only reason we managed to get those people freed and back to their homes most of them, unfortunately, uh, many were murdered before and during uh, their terrible ordeal. The only reason we managed to get them back was because of unrelenting military pressure on Hamas. That's the only thing that works. We All of us have to remember, we're dealing with a genocidal, murderous organization here. And the one thing that we know that has been effective is harsh military action against them. That what, that's what has uh, got results in the past the people of Israel know that that's what will get results in the future. So, will
1: how are the chances that negotiations to the to that will will resume as
9: well? Israel is ready to do whatever we can to bring our hostages back home. I will remind your viewers that, of course, it was Hamas who broke uh, all the agreement to uh, to continue the hostage release pause. It was solely in Hamas's hands that we have returned to conflict. Uh, But they will feel the pain now as they have not felt in the past. And we will do everything that we can to bring our people home. Everything.
1: So let's talk about the fighting uh, that's presuming in southern Gaza at the moment. We keep hearing that no place is safe anymore in Gaza. So what are israel's efforts to minimize civilian casualties and of course also that the civilians have resources necessary for survival
9: well firstly we know that uh, hamas uh, employs a double war crime number one hiding uh, amongst civilians and number two uh, using civilians as a uh, human shield and we know how appalling that is now israel again is doing everything it can everything it can to uh, to ensure that uh, innocent Gazans are not caught in the crossfire. But in the final analysis, we are liberating Gaza from Hamas, not only to protect Israel. We can't be in a situation anymore where Israeli mums and dads put their children to bed on a Friday night, only to be woken up at, at, at 6.30 on a Saturday morning faced by gunmen with green Uh, headbands shouting Allah al-Akbar was shooting into their homes and the terrible crimes that they committed. We're saving not only the people of Israel, but we're also liberating Gaza as well. Gaza must be free from Hamas to have any sort of decent future for all the people in this region.
1: Right. And on that note, I want to ask about the goal to eliminate. Just quickly, uh, one last question. So your goal is to eliminate the Hamas, Hamas, like, as you have said. But what exactly, if you can go into a bit more detail, what does it mean? How do you even designate, who do you even designate as being Hamas, knowing that they have supporters. The reports are even claiming that um, the war increases support for hamas and many children grew up in schools that aim to brainwash them with this particular ideology so what exactly is 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 the goal here
9: well uh, of course the united states and uk and all the allied countries in the second world war worked hard to what was called denazify germany and we're working along the same principles here We're going to remove Hamas from any sort of uh, level of authority uh, from Gaza's people. In essence, we are liberating Gaza from Hamas for all of the people of this region. All of them deserve to be free, to have a decent life, to be able to raise their children, not only Israeli children, but also Gazan children as well. We need to do everything that we can to remove this scourge from uh, the earth. This is an evil, genocidal gang that must be defeated, and believe you me, we will do it.
1: Thank you very much, David Menser. I appreciate your time this morning.
9: You're welcome.
1: And tense moments in the Red Sea yesterday. Iran-backed Houthi rebels fired missiles and struck three commercial ships.
0: And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the maritime attack, which is not the first time rebels have targeted commercial ships in the region.
4: The U.S. military says its warship shot down three drones in self-defense during the hour's long assault. The Iranian-backed Houthis claimed two of the attacks. The strikes marked an escalation in such assaults at sea, as multiple vessels found themselves in the crosshairs of a single Houthi assault for the first time in the conflict. The U.S. vowed to consider all appropriate responses in the wake of the attack and labeled the assaults a direct threat to international commerce and maritime security. The US called out Iran, saying it has every reason to believe the attacks were fully enabled by the Islamic Republic. The Israeli army also blamed Iran, saying the weapons, intelligence and methods the Houthis used to carry out the attacks are Iranian.
2: This shows the negative Iranian subversion in the region, and it's a global problem, a regional problem. And we need to see how the world responds to this.
4: The freedom of sailing is becoming dangerous in this part of the world. The attack started in Houthi-controlled Sana, Yemen's capital, at around 9.15 a.m. Sunday, local time. Two of the ships struck by missiles were flying under Panama's flag, one under Bahama's flag. No casualties were reported according to U.S. Central Command. U.S. Central Command is one of the 11 unified combatant commands of the Department of Defense. Its area of responsibility includes the Middle East, Central Asia, and parts of South Asia. Its top two command priorities are to one, deter Iran, and two, counter violent extremist organizations. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Representative Pramila Jayapal addressed Hamas rape and sexual violence against Israeli women on CNN.
1: When asked about the global silence on sexual violence against Israeli women, Jayapal said she has condemned what Hamas has done, but then pivoted to discussing Israeli actions in Gaza, saying that outrage must be balanced. Jayapal says 15,000 Palestinians have been killed since October 7th, which are numbers provided by Hamas.
0: According to Jayapal, one war crime, as in the rape and sexual violence, does not deserve another, meaning the bombings resulting in civilian deaths. CNN anchor Dana Bash then pushed Jayapal again on the rape and sexual assaults.
1: Jayapal acknowledged that rape and sexual assault are horrific, adding that, quote, I think it happens in war situations.
0: Bash then told Jayapal that Israeli soldiers don't rape Palestinian women, to which Jayapal responded, quote, I don't want this to be the hierarchy of oppression.
1: Coming up, George Santos is out of Congress.
0: What's next, and can Democrats flip it into a bigger win in 2024? And trouble in paradise as another CEO leaves a DeSantis campaign super PAC. What's next for the Florida governor? Find out in just a minute. The U.S. Air Force said today military divers recovered potential remains of a U.S. Osprey aircraft and its crew after a crash near Japan. The CV-22 Osprey crashed during a training mission off Yakushima Island last week carrying eight American service members. While one body has been identified, the others are still missing.
1: A former diplomat who once served as a U.S. ambassador to Bolivia has been arrested. Manuel Rocha's arrest reportedly follows accusations of serving as an agent of Cuba's government.
0: Rocha was arrested on Friday in Miami following a long-running FBI investigation. The Associated Press reports he is due to appear in court later today where more details about the case will likely be made public.
1: According to unnamed sources, the Justice Department accused Rocha of working to promote the Cuban government's interests. The Justice Department declined to comment on the case.
0: Rocha's diplomatic career spanned 25 years under both Democratic and Republican administrations, much of it in Latin America during the Cold War. He once held a diplomatic post in Cuba. Colombian born Rocha was raised in New York City. He joined the Foreign Service in 1981 and served as the top U.S. diplomat in Argentina between 1997 and 2000.
1: House Speaker Mike Johnson gave an update on a planned impeachment inquiry into President Biden over the weekend. Johnson says he thinks the House has enough votes to formally launch an inquiry without support from any Democrats.
0: Johnson called the move a necessary step. The House Speaker alleges the White House has been stonewalling committees investigating the Biden family.
1: Johnson is accusing the Biden administration of withholding thousands of pages of evidence and preventing at least two or three DOJ witnesses from testifying.
0: He says a formal floor vote on the inquiry will allow committees to move forward.
1: Republicans have signaled that a formal impeachment inquiry against Biden could be launched as soon as this week.
0: President Biden's brother James Biden is set to appear before the GOP-led panel on Wednesday. Hunter Biden is scheduled for a closed-door deposition next week.
1: And George Santos is gone from the House. So what effect will his expulsion have?
0: His name is certain to pop up in key congressional races across New York next year.
1: Democrats are targeting five seats held by first-term Republicans. They're looking to associate them with their former colleague as often as they can. How successful Democrats do that could help determine which party holds the House majority in 2025.
0: The strategy of association was evident on Friday as Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries condemned Republicans. Jeffries accuses them of knowing a lot about Santos before he was elected and then coddling him for almost a year.
1: The concern about Santos possibly tainting other Republican members standing with voters was evident as New Yorkers made themselves front and center in the drive to expel him.
0: A special election for Santos's seat is expected in mid to late February. Democrats stand a good chance of winning it back. And earlier I spoke with Robert Patillo, a Democratic strategist. I asked him about what it would take to flip Santos's seat.
5: Um, Well, I think Democrats have to focus on the messaging of the 2024 campaign, which is to finish the fight that while Republicans have been off on these wild goose chases, while there's been distraction after distraction seemingly every week within the GOP uh, conference, uh, Democrats have been focusing on jobs, infrastructure, bringing down inflation, um, the creation of uh, environmental uh, protections and getting the American people back to work and recovering after the COVID uh, pandemic. I think that Democrats focus on that core message and don't allow Republican distractions to get in the way. Um, then that's how they win back both that seat and many other seats nationwide.
0: It's gonna be a very competitive race. Now, Tom Swazi, former representative, he has appeared to be the front runner in this election here. Do you have a little bit of background that you can share with us about him?
5: Yes, Swazi, he ran be, against Santos before. He's a native to the area. Uh, he's uh, only lost by uh, I think under 5% to George Santos last time, so he definitely has the inside track, and he uh, is of the argument that he may, has made the point that uh, if the information about George Santos's biography had came out that he believed the Republicans were aware of, um, that George Santos would have never won this seat in the first place. This is demographically a seat that swings towards Democrats. It's a working class area. It's um, a lot of minority voters within in the jurisdiction. So I think he has a very strong chance of, of bringing that seat back into the Democratic fold. And if you look at the numbers, you're looking at Republicans now down to a four seat majority going into 2024. So they're going to have to start working in a more bipartisan manner than perhaps many people in the Freedom Caucus had hoped previously.
0: Well, thank you for your analysis on this. Robert Petillo, a Democratic strategist.
5: Thank you.
1: The shakeups inside Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' campaign continue. More key people at the main super PAC supporting his presidential bid have left the organization. Reuters reports that the CEO and communications director of the Never Back Down Super PAC have parted ways with the group. CEO Kristen Davison was on the job for less than two weeks after replacing the former CEO in late November. A spokesperson for the group says longtime DeSantis ally Scott Wagner will now take over the chief executive role. DeSantis allies recently formed a new super PAC called Fight Right. It's focusing on attacks against candidate Nikki Haley, who has overtaken DeSantis in some key states. Both DeSantis and Haley trail former President Trump in the race for the GOP nomination by over 40 points in most national polls. And of course we have some business news for you today as well. We spoke with Don Ma, the host of Entity Business, about the recent announcement between Alaskan and Hawaiian Airlines.
0: We asked him how this potential merger could affect travelers planning to fly this season.
8: Officials from both companies call the deal a chance to combine two carriers with few overlapping routes and to create a stronger company. They hope the new company will compete with the nation's big four, which are American, Delta, Southwest, and United. The deal is bound to attract attract, uh, antitrust scrutiny. Uh, But right now, U.S. regulators are challenging JetBlue's proposed acquisition of Spirit airlines. Hawaiian Airlines is in trouble due to the uh, Maui wildfires, uh, spiking jet fuel prices and jet engine recalls of some of their Airbus fleet. Stocks plummeted to 65 percent in the last year, and both companies forecast the acquisition will add to profits within two years of the deals closing. But the question now is, What will the merger mean for the consumer? Uh, Will ticket prices increase or decrease? Uh, Potentially, it may be too early to tell at this point.
0: Well, yeah, hopefully those go down, because I know a lot of people are going to be traveling over the holidays.
8: Yeah, I mean, hopefully, right? Yeah. Dan Ma, most of entity business, thank you. Yeah, thank Thank you.
3: you.
1: And a blind mole species has been rediscovered after it was thought to have gone extinct.
0: Researchers in South Africa say the animal has not been officially cited since 1936.
1: Researchers from the Endangered Wildlife Trust and the University of Pretoria located what's known as DeWinton's golden mole.
0: The mouse-sized animal has a shiny coat of fur mimicking the color of the sand it burrows in.
1: Scientists used, (laughs) it looks super funny, scientists used samples of environmental DNA from shed skin, cells, and hair to detect the species. It's
0: like, it fits right in your hand. This detection method could be a new way of discovering other lost species around the world.
1: People talk about how it's blind, but nobody talks about, at least here, how they have super hearing.
0: Oh, wow. It should be
1: mentioned, too. Oh,
0: that's a the good point. The little guy
1: has some talent, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and scientists are hoping that this rediscovery can actually help protect their habitat. Mm-hmm. That's It's endangered by diamond mining. Oh. So maybe something to think about when you buy that rock. That's
1: right. One of the many, many things to think about. Yeah. So um, at this point, we want to wrap up our show right here, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information. So stay tuned for our News Today broadcast at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee.
0: And I'm Kevin Hogan.